Welcome to Literary Quest, a podcast hosted by us, Vicki and Marissa, where we discuss our favorite and fantasy fiction and hopefully can direct you in your quest to find your next great read. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Literary Quest. This week we'll be discussing the final installment of the Lord of the Rings series, which is The Return of the King by J.R.R. Tolkien. I'll real briefly introduce our characters. If you don't know them at this point, go watch the movie, maybe <laughs> look up Spark Notes, which we are uh, referencing again today. Um, but then Vicky will take up with our plot. So uh, we have everyone that we've already met, Sam and Frodo, who are allegedly the the main characters i guess then we also have gandalf who is our wizard we have aragorn who is a man who will become the king of gondor and then his sidekicks legolas and gimli who are an elf and dwarf respectively then we also have our other hobbits which are pippin and mariadoc pippin is hanging out with gandalf and gondor and mary is with the people of Rohan for now. Uh, we have Theoden, who is the king of Gondor, and his nephew, who is Amer. And then new-ish to this book, we have Eowyn, who is Amer's sister and Theoden's niece. She is a shield maiden of Rohan, and she desires valor and glory and does not being does not appreciate being left behind to tend the castle every time the men go off to war. In Gondor, we have Denethor, who is the steward of Gondor, and he is the father to Boromir, who we met in the first book, The Fellowship of the Rings, and Faramir, who we met in the last installment, The Two Towers. Denethor is very salty about giving up power, and he's really salty with Gandalf. He's also a crap father to Faramir, at least. Um, I think that's most of the characters this book's most this book mostly takes place in Minas Tirith in Gondor and in Mordor as well and then there's a little bit of time spent in the Shire Vicky please read our plot yes and again thank you spark notes <laughs> so coming through for the people <laughs> <laughs> return of the king opens as Gandalf and Pippin ride east just after parting with King Theoden and the riders of Rohan at the end of Two Towers. Gandalf and Pippin meet Denethor, the city's steward or ruler, who clearly dislikes Gandalf. Pippin offers Denethor his sword in service to Gondor out of gratitude for the fact that Denethor's son, Boromir, gave his life for the hobbits earlier in the quest. A blanket of gloom, which Gandalf calls the darkness, begins to issue from Mordor and soon obscures the entire sky. Meanwhile, Aragorn realizes that the riders may not reach the city in time to defend it from the imminent conflict with Mordor. Aragorn parts, with com parts company with Theoden and decides to take the legendary Paths of the Dead to Gondor. As he travels through the paths accompanied by Legolas and Gimli, a huge army of the sleepless dead heeds Aragorn's commands and follows him southward. In Gondor, Denethor sends his other son Faramir to hold off the approaching armies of Mordor, Faramir holds his position as long as he can, but he ultimately gives up the field, despite Gandalf's help. Retreating to the city, a poisoned arrow of the Nazgul, the Black Riders, strikes Faramir down, though it does not kill him. 
Later, as the fierce battle wages outside, Denethor goes mad and locks himself in a crypt with the ailing Faramir. Denethor plans to destroy the remnants of the line of Gondor's stewards. The army of Mordor nearly breaks through, but the riders of Rohan arrive just in time to fight the army off. The Lord of the Nazgul, the Black Captain, kills King Theoden. In heroic defense, Lady Eowyn and Mary slay the Black Captain, though Eowyn is grievously wounded. <clears throat> the forces of Mordor regroup, but Aragorn arrives via the Andun River on the black ships of the enemy, which he has conquered with the help of the dead. Pippin finds Gandalf, and together they stop Denethor from killing his son. The old steward throws himself on a burning pyre and kills himself. Having rescued Gondor, Aragorn enters and heals those whom the Black Captain wounded during the battle. In doing so, Aragorn fulfills an ancient prophecy concerning the coming of the next king of Gondor. Leaders of the Army of the West decide to put together an assault on Mordor in order to distract Sauron from the quest of Frodo the Ringbearer. Aragorn's forces march to the Black Gate of Mordor and confront Sauron's lieutenant. The lieutenant claims that the hobbit spies Frodo and Sam have been captured in Mordor. Gandalf rebukes the lieutenant, who flees inside the gate and unleashes the great armies of Mordor. In the meantime, Sam manages to rescue Frodo with the aid of the ring and his sword. The hobbits don orc clothing and begin the arduous trek through Mordor. The ring grows heavier around Frodo's neck with each step. After several long and weary days of travel, the two hobbits reach Mount Doom. Sam carries Frodo to the top. Just as they reach the cracks of doom, Frodo refuses to give up the ring, overcome by its power. Gollum appears and struggles with Frodo. Gollum bites the ring off of Frodo's finger, but then he stumbles and falls into the cracks of doom. Sauron's power breaks, and Aragorn's forces at the Black Gate defeat the panicked servants of Mordor. Gandalf flies to Orden on the back of the eagles and rescues Frodo and Sam. The darkness dissipates from Gondor. Aragorn is crowned king of Gondor and he marries Arwen, Elrond's daughter from Rivendell. The hobbits return to the Shire where they find their homes ravaged. A group of men have entered and set up an oppressive police state. The four companions organize a rebellion and rout the intruders, discovering that the leader of the destruction is Saruman, who seeks revenge on the hobbits. Frodo spares his life, but the wizard's brow-beaten servant, Wormtongue, betrays and kills his cruel master. The hobbits rebuild the Shire and return to their ordinary lives. Sam marries a hobbit named Rosie Cotton, and together they have a daughter. Frodo, wounded by the burden of the ring quest, decides to leave the Shire. He'll, he sails away over the Great Sea with Bilbo and the other ring bearers to the peaceful paradise in the unknown west. End of series. Um, so yeah, no spoilers. Cause I just went right up to the end on that. Might as well. Yes. Okay. Oh All right. So that's the end of that. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say this book was a lot more entertaining than the two towers. There wasn't, I mean, there was still quite a bit of walking, but there wasn't nearly as much walking. Yes, that's true. I, what I think is funny is that, so, okay, so this was my favorite book out of the series, but I told my sister that we were reading this and um, on 
third book and she goes oh I stopped in the third book like at the beginning around the Rohan Riders and I was like you made it all the way through the two towers <laughs> to stop here in terms of like action and the things that occur there's a lot more going on in this book than there was the second book mm-hmm. so I don't know why you <laughs> This wouldn't be the place to stop. I think the thing that saves this book is that there's only like maybe four to six chapters that are solely from Sam and Frodo's perspective. Yeah. And the, the first part of the book is devoted entirely to everyone else. So even in the second part, though, there's only a few chapters that are from Frodo and Sam's. And then they do like a space jump where we get perspectives from other people in part two. So that to me helps the story along quite a bit. Yes, the, yeah, definitely. I agree. I mean, the first part of this book was really action packed, you know? Yes. So I feel like it redeemed the two towers quite a bit, but then we had all of that happen. It was interesting that then the follow-up was so slow, you know, like it was like, oh, we had all of this excitement. And then I was like, and we're going to walk forever walk. <laughs> it's just descriptions of walking and <laughs> rambles and shitty landscape like potholes like there's nothing to see right why would you why why would you do this i don't this i don't understand why you would do this to your main characters they're the main characters and you gave them the most boring storyline oh all of these other side characters do all of this stuff and it's mm-hmm. great. And your main character and Frodo is not the main character. Absolutely so not. Me a message about it. And I was like, no, Frodo, Sam is the main character of the story. Mm-hmm. Why mm-hmm. would you do this to your main characters where you give them nothing? They're just freaking walking <laughs> the desolate wasteland. I, and yeah, I, know. I mean, sometimes there are some orcs and they have to hide. And at one point they kind of get swept up and there's a little bit of action where Sam saves Frodo, but it's mm-hmm. Sam doing all of the work. Yes. And Frodo is just an asshole to Sam. Like, and Sam is like, I mean, this feels like a bad relationship to me because Sam is, do- or Frodo's doing the bare minimum. And I, you know, it would be different. Because I am sure that part of Frodo's lack of action and contribution is related to the weight of the ring, right? Mm-hmm. I'm they sure. talk about how heavy the ring is and how it gets worse. And he mentioned it real briefly a couple of times, how heavy the weight is as he's carrying it to Mount Doom. Mm-hmm. But because we don't get any sort of internal perspective on what he's feeling and how the weight feels to him and how it changes and grows the closer he gets to his destiny and how he feels about it. Mm-hmm. It just feels like he's doing nothing. Yeah. And Sam is carrying all of the weight. And he's literally, literally like literally keeping Frodo alive and literally carrying him. Yes, at one point he literally carries him for like the last trek of this 
I mean, journey. he piggybacks him up a mountain. Hmm. <laughs> so we get, you mentioned we get a little bit, there's that one part, and I know what you're talking about, because I highlighted it because I was like, this is the only insight we get to what is happening with Frodo. So Sam asks him about, oh, do you remember that rabbit we had? And Frodo's like, no, I don't remember food. I don't remember nature. I don't remember the water or the sound of wind. And he says, I am naked in the dark, Sam, and there's no veil between me and the wheel of fire. I begin to see it even with my waking eyes and all else fades. That's it. This is all we know about what Frodo's going through. So first off, it's a pretty powerful part, right? Yeah. It gives us more. It does. It gives us the insight into it. But this is, this was like the only insight we had on Frodo's like mental status. Yeah. Everything else. hundred pages later. (laughs) (laughs) I know. (laughs) I mean, it's, I feel like it does a disservice to the character. Mm -hmm. We talked about this a little bit. It doesn't feel like the characters are fully developed, which is disappointing in contrast to all of the description of the scenery that we get. And that's fine, I guess. But I want to know if I'm going to feel empathy for the characters. Mm -hmm. I need to know some of what they're feeling. And it's hard for me to generate compassion. Mm Mm-hmm feeling it's hard for me to care about him yeah because I, I don't know what any of his feelings are yeah beyond I, this one moment mm-hmm. I completely agree I apparently had when I was writing up my notes I was like I have like a pretty decent amount of thoughts on Frodo and they're all negative <laughs> yeah I like Sam does everything for Frodo right and Mm -hmm. so like at one point he offers he was like I'll help you carry the ring and of course Frodo's like no you can't have it and Sam's like whoa okay but like I would have been so mad if that was my friend doing that I was like I have gotten you everything I have done everything here I'm just offering to help I'd have been like fine you can just stay here by yourself with your stupid little ring yeah I'm gonna go home to my hobbit hole like would have been done with it and then later on he says to him like Sam comes back and he's got clothes and some supplies and stuff and Frodo says have you forgotten about food and drink dude give him a break yeah I just like what are you doing Frodo anything yeah did you find any food or drink no you didn't you just sat there trekking all over this like I don't know crappy landscape looking for drinkable water mm-hmm. yeah and then Frodo giving just- up his own food so that Frodo can eat mm-hmm. yep and he's such a contrast to Sam who's always like trying to stay positive and meanwhile Frodo's out here being like why worry about tomorrow it probably won't come like yeah guys are like the worst I don't understand how they're friends I just Sam seems that goes back to like are they friends right exactly that's yeah because I still feel like there's I don't know if it's like this my mind wants to say romantic relationship and I know it's not Mm. which makes it a like master servant relationship instead right and so I know that they're close with each other but it still doesn't I don't know like I just don't 
I don't get the friendship vibes. Like Pippin and Mary. Friends. Friends. They're friends. Mm-hmm. Frodo and Sam feel like bizarrely transactional, but nobody nobody's getting anything out of this. <laughs> yeah. And Sam is so affectionate with Frodo. Like when he get he like grabs his hand, he kisses his hand. I think he kisses the side of his face at one point. He like pets his wounds mm-hmm. and feels really upset that he doesn't have anything to bind the wounds that Frodo has. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know. Yeah. It's odd. And I agree with you, like, with the way that Sam kind of responds. So Sam's response to Frodo refusing to give him the ring is hurt. Like, it hurts his feelings. Mm -hmm. He gets emotional. And I think that's pretty on brand with Sam as a character. He's been pretty emotional for for a character in this book. I feel like he's been pretty emotional up to this point. Um. And so I feel like his response is pretty on brand. And I feel like if we had some description of the turmoil that Frodo feels about the ring, I could have more empathy in that situation instead of just saying, well, Frodo's a dick. And like we know that part of why he, or I, get, I guess the main reason why he acts that way is because it's the influence of the ring, right? Mm-hmm. Part of me wonders though, because I saw the movies first a billion years ago and have watched them a billion times since then, if I'm willing to be this forgiving of Frodo's behavior, because I've seen the character in movie form a million times. And I feel like I can have more compassion for this character as I see Elijah Wood as like a physical representation of the character and not just something on text. Yeah. So I'm coming at it from a very different angle than you are because I read these books probably like 20 years ago. Like I think I was in middle school and I read these books, right? Mm-hmm. So it's been a long time since I read these books. Plus I haven't seen the movies as much as you have. So mm-hmm. I don't, I've seen them like maybe three times. What? If that. Oh my gosh. Right. I have no and right like, to be this surprised. <laughs> Three times is a perfectly reasonable amount of times to have seen these movies. I have no, I don't know why. I don't know why it surprises me that people have not <laughs> obsessively watched them as much as I have. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. So, yeah. So you probably do have a really different perspective from the one that I'm coming into it with mm-hmm. yeah yeah I definitely don't have a lot of empathy towards Frodo I do towards Sam like because Sam's just trudging along with his master here mm-hmm. um you know and I also don't have a ton of like when we read like Aragorn, Legolas and Gimli's parts and stuff, you know, I feel like I remember them the most from the movies um, when I saw them. Mm-hmm. So I'm disappointed to see them not be in the book as much. Yeah. Really. I mean, 
I feel like their presence is pretty strong in the movies Mm -hmm. and they provide some comic relief in the movies as well. And they do some in the books too. It's just that they're not as present in the, in the books, which is disappointing because they're great characters. And again, they're characters who are more fleshed out in the movies than they are the books. So this is the thing that I've seen recently. And I, I kind of, I don't remember what, so I didn't watch these movies when they first came out. It was a few years later and I watched them because of a boy. <laughs> the first person that I like long-term dated, I watched them with him. Some of our first dates. Um, I, so I don't remember and wasn't old enough to really think about or care about how people responded or felt. Uh, I feel like Peter Jackson pulled out a lot of the stuff in for his movies that was present and just kind of stuck it in different places. But a lot of the content from the books shows up in the movies. Mm-hmm. And I know a criticism that people are already having about the Rings of Power show is that they the, the creators have taken very little source material and kind of just made up some of the stuff from some of Tolkien's things. And the people don't like that. And that makes me wonder like, okay, but was the, the store stuff to pull from like <laughs> flushed out enough to make a whole other show about? Yeah. And I know, and see, that's the thing. Like, I don't think they had the rights to the Silmarillion. And so that's part of what people are saying. Like, they're just making some of this stuff up. And that, I mean, like, I don't care. I'm going to watch it anyway. Yeah. But I've also heard that the Silmarillion reads like a history book of Middle Earth and not like an actual story. And that there are a lot of things that are unfinished. Yeah, like he didn't get to finish developing his world completely. Didn't he die? Yeah, like a long time ago. No, 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 I know he died. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I know he's dead. I'm sorry. I meant didn't he Old Tolkien before? still alive looking like Theoden in the Two Towers movie. Ah, no road. I'm sorry. <laughs> didn't he die before, <laughs> before he finished everything? Right? I don't That's know. What probably. I, I mean, let's get real. He created whole languages. Is he ever, would he have ever finished everything? Probably not. You're probably right. Probably not. <laughs> I thought it was interesting uh, that, so at the end of the two towers, Gandalf and Pippin, they're on Shadowfax riding to Gondor for like days and days, days. They're on this horse for days and Mm -hmm. they get to Minas Tirith and Gandalf says to Pippin, hey, by the way, Denethor, the steward is going to ask you a bunch of questions, but like, don't say too much. We probably, you should have been educated some on courtly things and whatever. So just say as little as possible. And I'm thinking y'all have been on a horse together for four days, at least. Could you not have debriefed him at some point on the way? I don't know. Maybe it's hard to, I've never ridden a horse. Maybe it's hard to have a conversation like that on a horse. I don't know. 
I just don't feel like he set Pip up for success. (laughs) No, he didn't. He did not. No. And then they get there and everyone is so salty about Gandalf showing up. They say, and I feel like every time he goes somewhere, they say this, he's got to be tired of it. Every time he arrives, people say, oh, you're the, always the bearer of bad news. Nah. Like, would Mm. you rather him not show up and you be surprised by the bad thing? I mean, he's bearing bad news, but he's trying to prepare you. It's a little ungrateful, in my opinion. Yes. I agree. So, like, are these people that you would visit just for funsies? Like, I don't know anyone that would go and see Denethor just for a good time. He's a prick. (laughs) He really is. Like, do you think he's with, well, you, and because you haven't seen, the movies quite so much i don't i don't know if you'll have an opinion about this but is movie denethor or book denethor a bigger asshole i feel like denethor is in the books way more than he is in the movie yeah right so i feel like in the book he's more of an asshole yeah mainly because of that you see him more also did not remember i don't remember the last time i saw this movie he tries to burn faramir alive mm-hmm. totally forgot about that i legit gasped yeah when he, I was like oh, like because I thought he did it because he says he did it and I was like oh my yeah. god I don't remember that they save him like because I know they changed some stuff in the movies right yeah so I was like oh, and I was like oh no wait that's right that's not right <laughs> yes yeah uh he he's pretty terrible in both I will never forget the image of him eating a tomato is yes. just, like burned in my Ugh. mind it is the worst thing ever yeah, when he's eating and Pippin, it's it's Pippin who sings to them, right? Yes. Well, ugh, so gross. And it's a great sad song, and he's just like popping cherry tomatoes in his mouth, and the seeds are spurting out. Blah. Why would you do that to us, Peter? I mean, it left an impression, so I guess you succeeded. But eek. Mm-hmm. oh, I don't like it. Um. He's definitely like, I mean, he's pretty rude in the movie, but he is way worse in the book. But also in the movie or in the book, we see him looking into the Palantir and, you know, having conversations with Sauron and just kind of being awful. And he's a dick. Gandalf is like, yeah, this is going to happen. You should probably be prepared. And he's like, well, I already knew that Gandalf. Okay. Why are you wasting everyone's time then? If you already knew, maybe you should do something about it. Isn't that your job? Mm-hmm. No, he just wants to enjoy his cherry tomatoes. Yeah. <laughs> Be an asshole. Ugh. And he's really awful about Faramir. Right. I hate that so much. He says, Faramir asks him if he wishes that he had died instead of Boromir. And Denethor is like, yeah. So mean. He's so mean. There's so many memes about it too. I love it. But like, he's so mean. Yes. You sent me the the wrong son died from. Yeah. Oh gosh. What was that movie? Um. Um. Dewey Cox. Dewey Cox. Dewey yeah. Cox, yep. From the, the wrong son died. And I, <laughs> I 
I feel like that's my favorite one that I've seen in a while. It was really good. Um, He's just so terrible about it though. Mm -hmm. Which, and I feel like that gives us some information about Boromir too, right? Because he doesn't like Faramir because Faramir is friendly with Gandalf. um, But he also, because he saw the intelligence of letting Frodo continue with the ring instead of bringing it to him. And he knows that if Boromir had gotten it, he would have brought the ring to him. And of course, Gandalf goes on the speech about how if Boromir had it, he wouldn't give it to you. He would probably kill you and we would all be screwed. Yep. Um, and so I think that his affinity for Boromir over Faramir kind of gives us some information about Boromir maybe being either the more malleable son right? The more willing to do what his father tells him or asks of him. Although Faramir is really willing to, he literally goes to an impossible situation, recognizing that he's probably going to die because his dad tells him to. So he's trying. Yeah. Um, there is a part. So after Faramir gets shot, with it's poisoned arrow, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, um Denethor says oh something like oh my son I sent him out unthanked unblessed you know whatever and it's like now you feel bad now that he's almost dying or now that he is dying now yeah. you feel bad okay Ugh. such a jerk he is I feel like Faramir is the am I the drama <laughs> sound mm-hmm. I'm the drama mm-hmm Yes, he is. Because after that, he holds up with Faramir, completely gives up his job duties. Nobody's leading the, the town or the country or whatever. Gandalf is halfway doing it, but even then people aren't listening to him because he's not the official steward. And so he's kind of crippled by that. And Denethor is just holding vigil next to Faramir's bed, being sad, doing nothing. And then finally he's like, you know what? forget this i'm just gonna set us both on fire and call it good (laughs) but i do so the scene where denethor self-immolates is pretty different i mean it ends a little bit differently from how things end in the book in the movie so in the movie you know they they and in in the book they rescue faramir he's saved in the book denethor is like you know what screw you guys. I'm still going through with this. So he climbs on the pyre, sets himself on fire. He's got his hands on the palantir and just dies. Like just kind of, you know, burns out. Mm -hmm. And there's this weird little sentence later or in that about how anyone who tried to pick up the palantir again, saw withered old hands (laughs) holding it. It's just super dark. Mm -hmm. Creepy. Um, but in the movie, he sets himself on fire and then jumps off the tallest tower in Minas Tirith, hmm. which is intense. Yeah. I don't know which one's worse, though. Yeah. I, don't I, mean, mean, I mean, I feel like quietly setting yourself on fire is pretty metal. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Well, like you said, Denethor is the, am I the drama? So I guess it fits with this character to throw himself off of a building, it right? Does. Yeah. 
this scene is crafted so well. Like his mm -hmm. hair is all greasy. He realizes that Faramir is alive in the scene. And then he's like, he's on fire and he starts to feel the heat. And he's got on this gigantic coat, like heavy fur covered in oil and on fire. It, they, they crafted the scene really well for the movie. And I feel like the impact that it has in the movie is a lot more powerful than what's presented in the book. I mean, in the book, if he had just jumped on a pyre and being like, bye, it wouldn't mm -hmm. have had the same impact. But in the book, it does have a pretty nice impact the way it's read too. So, yeah. So we have one of our female characters actually, yeah. you know, really doing something in this book yes eowyn finally gets her moment mm -hmm. i have mixed feelings i guess about eowyn i feel kind of bad for her um i do like so i could not remember what happened with eowyn in the book and i was really glad that she does actually have like a fully fleshed out storyline in this one and it's not just that Peter Jackson made up all of this stuff for her for the movies. Like it gave me, I, for, I weirdly gave me like some, I don't know, hope for Tolkien <laughs> that he devoted at least a little bit of character development to the female character. Um, so we have Eowyn. When at the start of the story, Aragorn decides he's going to take the path of the dead and Eowyn asks her to take her with him and he's like no and she pushes back about always being left behind to mind the keep and the people and is frustrated because uh, to me it felt like Aragorn was kind of minimizing her desires and I feel like this is phrased well later on in the book and with Gandalf and I'll get to in a second but he he's just like well you know somebody has to stay behind and take care of the house <laughs> the castle and the people and just because you're doing that and not being praised for it, it doesn't make it any less worthy and she's like just because i'm a female doesn't mean that i don't want glory and battle and i don't want valor i don't want to be remembered as something big mm -hmm. and so he yeah he says um deeds will not be less valiant because they are unpraised and I just feel like that comes from a place of entitlement, maybe or privilege as a man in this story. Like it must be nice to not need the valor and the validation. Aragorn, future king of Gondor. Wow. And so what I really like is she says this to him, all of your words are but to say you are a woman and your part is in the house. But when the men have died in battle and honor, you have leave to be burned in the house for the men will need it no more. I think it, that statement really highlights the struggle that she experiences. And I like that we have a female character in this story who's pushing back against what Aragorn is saying. Right. I got so frustrated. Like, of course, you're saying like, yeah, it's still worthy to stay home. She's a shield maiden. She says, my biggest fear is to be trapped, to be stuck. And that's what you're doing to me by not taking me with you. And then he says, well, you told me that I shouldn't go to the dead, the dead place with the dead roads or whatever. 
um, anyway, because it might be dangerous. And she said, yeah, I'm telling you that because I think that you have value and skill. And if you're going to kill yourself, you should do it in a mighty battle instead of going to this place where death is certain. And he says, well, these other people are going with me. And she says, well, they're going with you because they love you, not because they think this is a good idea. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) I absolutely did not pick up on this. Um, when I was reading, but so when he leaves her there, right. Mm -hmm. Um, he says, nay woman or nay late, something like that. Right. This is also supposed to be him rejecting her romantically because I was very confused when I got to the end of the book and she had that conversation with Faramir and I was like, I'm sorry, what, (laughs) (laughs) um, what did I miss? So I look it up and they said that him refusing her to come with him was also his like romantic rejection of her. And I was like, nope, didn't pick up on that. Nope. One bit. I agree. (laughs) Uh, I had no idea. I mean, because I've seen the movie so many times, I knew that she was romantically interested in him, but I did not read this passage and think, oh, she loves him. Like Tolkien is bad at romance, which makes me think supposed to be romance, (laughs) which makes me think does Sam actually love Frodo in a romantic way? Maybe he does. (laughs) (laughs) He's so bad at romance with all the hand kissing and the petting and like the yeah. Uh, And I know he marries Rosie at the end, but that literally means nothing to me. Well, especially because they move in with Frodo yep. and because Sam is all torn. He's like, oh, I'm going to marry Rosie or I want to marry Rosie or something. But like, I don't know, like leaving you behind. And Frodo's like, just move in with me. What? Mm-hmm. I mean, okay. Yeah, I, uh, I did not. I felt the same way when I got to the end and it was like, oh, Eowyn, I get, I guess loved Aragorn. And was rejected by him at some point. I, I mean, I didn't read this passage and think that. And then she was like, well, fine. If you're not going to love me, I'm going to pretend to be a soldier and die in battle. I'll show you. <laughs> oh, gosh. Aowen is also a little bit of the drama. Mm-hmm. A little bit. A little bit. Okay. So uh, the, the, Ro- the people of Rohan are Vikings, right? Nordic I assume people. they yes I assume so. they're all blonde uh-huh. and tall I assume they have very, very strong jaw lines mm-hmm. and distinguished features like they are vikings in my mind mm-hmm. especially with how excited they get about battle it says at one point that they so they do their war cry and then they go into battle singing as they're slaying <laughs> okay that, that lines up with the Viking thing. Mm-hmm. Seems right. Yeah. Um, I don't know. They sound like interesting people. Also, like the battle cries are one of my favorite things. Um, when they they go to war with mm-hmm. the forces of Mordor, there are. So this is Theoden's battle cry, and it it like it is my favorite part of the movie. I think in the third one, like it is one of the most 
memorable parts for me. It's, it's I just love it. Um, but Theoden says, arise, arise, riders of Theoden, fell deeds awake, fire and slaughter, spears shall be shaken, shields be splintered, a sword day, a red day, ere the sun rises. And then it says the, the, the host of Rohan burst into song as they slew for the joy of battle was on them. Like, I feel like that creates such a powerful image and I love it. And it comes through on screen really well, but also it gives me the mental image of glee on a battlefield. And I think it's just hysterical and wonderful that they're so joyous about battle. Uh, AMR, yeah, yeah mm -hmm. AMR also has a really great war cry too. He's and this is after he he realizes Theoden is dead and he thinks Eowyn is dead and he says, "Death, ride to ruin and the world's ending." It's just so powerful. Mm -hmm. It is. It's one of these like major moments in the book, and it's written so well. And yeah, we get we get a lot here. We get a lot with the battles and everything. This is where. Well, yeah, I mean, it makes sense, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the battle scene in this book was much, the battle scenes were much better in this story than in the two towers. You know, they have that battle at Helm's Deep and I was like, meh, all right, I guess. But this, I feel like was very powerfully written. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I think it's interesting that Mary is so bent on going to battle. He doesn't want to slow people down, but he doesn't want to be left behind. And so he rides with who he thinks is just another male sol soldier, but is actually Eowyn. And on the way, he says he began to wonder why he had been so eager to come when he had been given every excuse, even his Lord's command to stay behind. Yeah, I love <laughs> Poor Hobbit. Like, oh gosh, I made a mistake. This was a bad idea. It reminds me of like when I make plans to socialize with mm -hmm. someone and I'm excited when I make the plans, but the actual day gets there and I'm like, oh, this was a mistake. What was I thinking? <laughs> I don't actually like people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I get that. Relatable. What did you think of the scene where the Nazgul, Eowyn confronts the Nazgul? I loved that. Okay, so I think it's definitely more powerful in the movie because yeah. I do remember that bit from the movie. I think it's more, I think they translated that to film better than it was in the book. Mm -hmm. um, but it was a great moment because we have two of the, like two characters that you wouldn't really think would be super strong. You know, we have Eowyn who's a woman and then we have Mary who's the Hobbit, you know, mm -hmm. and they work together. And I, I loved it. What about you? Oh, I loved it too. I agree about it being on screen. Um, what I, and obviously we have a very iconic line in that, right? Mm -hmm. The captain of the Nazgul in the movie says to her, no man can kill me. And she says, I am no man and stabs him in the face. Yes. Right. It is glorious. And we don't get that exactly in the book, but the moment is still very powerful in the book. It gives me chills. Mm 
Mm-hmm. She and what she does say, which I do really like, is when she's standing up to protect Theoden, she says, Be gone if you will not be deathless. For living or dark, undead, I will smite you if you touch him. Yeah, it was also, still a powerful scene. Yes, it was still powerful. I do like it better in film, but I still really enjoyed it in this moment. And I think the sword that Mary stabs him with is from his original horde. Is that right? Did I read that right? I think so. I'm not really the one to ask on this. Yeah, I think it is. But I think so. It's a nice way to get like a little full circle thing because that little mm-hmm. adventure with the Barrow Whites is kind of random. Um. And so if that is the case, then it is nice that it kind of pulls back from that thing that happened in the first book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a nice callback. That's what it is. Something that we don't get in the book that we do, or in the movie that we do get in a book, and I wish that we had gotten in the movie is we get to meet the other rangers. Mm-hmm. So Strider's not the only one out there. There's like several of them. And I would have liked to have seen, you know, the people that Aragorn comes from, mm-hmm. his coworkers, I guess. And yeah. Then like half of them die in the battle when yeah. he brings the ships back. I agree, I guess. So in this whole battle, right, Pippin gets crushed by a troll mm-hmm. at one point. Like, he's like, I want to take just one person down. I feel it, like, right? That's what he wants he wanted to take like at least one person down and so yeah he takes this troll down and the troll falls on him and mm-hmm. his thought is so it ends as I guessed it would right that's like his final thought mm-hmm. and I'm like I'm sorry I don't remember him dying I was like does he die in the book and not in the movie so of course I look it up because I'm like oh no apparently Tolkien was originally going to kill him off and C.S. Lewis convinced him not to oh yeah yeah he convinced him so later on Tolkien writes that Gimli saved him and I was like you know what this actually kind of makes sense because this does seem really thrown in here mm-hmm. when you read it him being like oh yeah Gimli's like oh yeah I saved him yeah like I get it yeah I can see it once you know that you can kind of see it but I just thought it's like Ben just got crushed by a troll like it even says like I think darkness like something about his eyes like light went out from his eyes or something I don't know I'm just like he's he sounds really dead yeah um I had forgotten that that happened Mm -hmm. like what (laughs) what is happening this doesn't happen in the the movie um yeah no I had forgotten it and he was doing it he was trying to so this was after all of the things at Minas Tirith, when they're, they've confronted Saruman, no, Sauron, they've gone to Mordor and they're at the Black Gates. And th- that's this battle. Oh, that's, sorry. Yeah, no. I got the um, switch. But what is going on is Pippin is trying to say, he, he tried to save Baragond. And I can't imagine how scary this must be for someone who is like, I don't know, hip tall, <laughs> surrounded by men who are much taller and then trolls as well. But this troll comes after Baragond, I think, who was his friend that he made in Minas Tirith. And he, I think, stabs the troll in the eye or something. 
like it's a very brave moment for someone who is much smaller in comparison to all of the people around him and then a troll falls on him it's like how are you going to give him this moment and then crush him bash him <laughs> like you doing you doing wrong by pippin yeah i also like later on in the story how gimli call uh, like reckons back to finding he said it's a good thing i've gotten good at recognizing little hobbit feet uh, or you might have died under that troll <laughs> Doctor, he's traumatized. He won't be able to sleep. About the, he talks about the sleep that he's lost because of Pippin. Oh yeah. So, you know, Aragorn and company win this battle, mm-hmm. but Faramir, Eowyn, and Mary have been injured, and I think it's interesting that he's the one that heals them. He uses Ethelus to do it too. Uh, the I feel like this is a running joke because it pops up in the lord of the rings movies but then again it kind of pops up in the hobbit movies that peter jackson made uh ethelis uh king's foil i it's a weed we feed it to the pigs or something like this and he he's using it and there's a scramble to find it when he asks for it it's like is this a real thing or did you just is this like windex you know like in my big pack freak wedding like put some windex on it it'll be fine like yes Get some ethylis and pour some water over it and we'll smear it on your face or something. Like, it'll be fine. I don't know. But I thought this scene was interesting. They mentioned how the true king of Gondor will also have healing powers. And I think it's interesting that they explore how they're suffering from magical wounds and not just physical wounds. So um, Aemir, he, he heals Eowyn, for example, but Aemir ends up being the one that calls her back. Mary and Gandalf and Pippin are kind of the same. Right. And then this is what I like about this scene with Gandalf explaining kind of Eowyn's situation to Aemir because Aemir is like, what, what is happening? Like, why is she even here? <laughs> I'm very confused that she was even in this battle. He thinks she's dead and she's not. And Gandalf basically says, you know, your sister was born with a spirit just like yours, the spirit of a warrior, but put in the body of a woman, a maiden. Mm-hmm. And then in that body, for because she's trained in all of that stuff, she's forced to tend an ailing man, Theoden, who was like a father to her. And she was forced to watch him deteriorate with worm tongues. I don't know, bad influence and magic from Saruman. And then she was made to feel like she was trapped. And he says, like, who would have good feelings about that? Yeah, I really liked that. Yeah. Yeah, I did too. I liked all the focus that we had on Ao and in, in this. Yeah, I did too, especially because there's been like <laughs> no female characters. <laughs> Arwen, again, is still just barely mentioned in this story. Galadriel, you know, she's present a little bit in the first story, mentioned briefly in the second and third. It's nice that we have a female character with an actual plot and an important role in the story and that there are male characters who have empathy and kind of understand where she's coming from in these situations. Again, they mention her being like, they mention Aragorn or something. 
no, well, he's the one healing her. And he's like, I mean, I don't love her though. So I don't know how this is going to work. And he was like, okay. I, and it was at this point where I was like, oh, I didn't know that she loved him. Upon that. No, not at all. Bad romance. Um, they heal Mary. And I think it's terrifically on brand for him. He wakes up from the brink of death and is immediately asking when they're going to eat. <laughs> Feels very on brand for a hobbit. Yes, I agree. <laughs> uh, when he wakes up, he thinks he might have been dreaming and he realizes that it was all real and Theoden is actually dead. And I, I really enjoyed this moment because I think it presents an interesting perspective on death. He talks about how he'll never smoke again because one of the last interactions that he had with Theoden was that they never got a chance to talk about like the nuances of uh, weed and, or their, whatever they're smoking, their tobacco. And they never really got a chance to sit and smoke with each other. And he had this very close relationship. I think they say it was almost like father-like with Theoden. And so he says he doesn't think he'll ever be able to smoke again because it will make him sad and it will remind him of Theoden. And Gandalf encourages him to smoke anyway and to do it to remember and honor his friend. And I feel like I can appreciate this sentiment from like two perspectives and I, I feel like uh, just because of my brother's death I view grief in a completely different way now than I did before um, but I get Mary's desire to not want to do the thing that hurts because it will hurt those reminders like it's hard there are certain songs that I really like I have to be careful about when I'm going to listen to them because they remind me of Casey so strongly that it will make me cry. Um, but then there are other things. And so that's not, I mean, it's just like you appreciate things in a different way or you observe things in a different way. Whereas there are other things you know, like the tie dye party that we had for his birthday this year, because he loved tie dye. Um, and so you do it to honor and to remember, but it still hurts. You know, we mentioned how Legolas and Gimli aren't really present in the story much um but they do kind of exist for a little bit of comic relief so after the battle's over and all of that stuff they're walking through Minas Tirith to find their friends and they're talking about how when uh, Lego no when Aragorn claim, claims his title they're going to change things and I think it's funny Gimli and Legolas are criticizing the architecture and the landscaping Mm -hmm. Gimli's like, eh, this stonework is all right, but we can do better when Aragorn, you know, claims this place, I'll, I'll petition my friends or whatever to see if we can make it look nicer. And Legolas is like, it needs more trees. We'll bring him some when he takes over ownership. <laughs> I need an entire novella with just these two characters and their adventures. I... I think there is something out there or at least it's in one of his other follow-up books because as I was looking up um the whole thing about the undying lands it's mentioned like that there's this whole story about Legolas and Gimli and how they also like Gimli is the first dwarf um to go to the undying lands right and Legolas takes a minutes when they're older and everything and it has like apparently some stories about their friendship and stuff so I don't know if it's in 
I don't know, like, you know, he wrote so many other things. I don't know if it's mentioned somewhere. I don't, maybe it's in the appendix that I didn't read. So I didn't <laughs> actually read the book, apparently. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I feel like it would make a, just a jolly TV show, right? Mm-hmm. Just two guys, just two friends, an elf and a dwarf exploring the lands frolicking hand in hand obviously (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah so we hit part two everybody in Minas Tirith is making plans to go to Mordor uh just so that they can kind of be a distraction to Sauron Mm -hmm. because Frodo and Sam have got to be getting closer right and so they think, you know, there's no way we're going to win this because we're going right to his front door. But maybe we can give them just enough of a chance for them to be successful. Yeah. Which would suck. Can you imagine? No. <laughs> <laughs> I would be like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'll stay and be a healer back here. I'm sure there are some people who still need to be healed i'm gonna stay here (laughs) i'm gonna stand at the back of the company Mm -hmm. and we'll see how it goes Mm -hmm. yeah and then we have sam and frodo's parts and again they're just walking and it's so boring i i know it's broken up a little bit by some things like at one point they run into like i don't know a garrison Mm -hmm. of orcs or something but like they managed to, I don't understand this. They're like two to three feet tall. Aren't orcs giants? Like not giants, but they're big, right? Well, some of them, I think that they come in different sizes. Like some of them are like goblins, I think, which would be smaller. And then there are some larger, or I think they're different sizes. Okay. At least because, they are in the movie. Okay. Well, it would, yeah. I mean, that would make sense because like somehow you know, Frodo and Sam put on some orc armor and then they're found by, um, cap, cap, I don't know what their ranking system is. Um, captain, sergeant, whatever. And he's like, you have to get back in line. And I'm like, but they're like two feet tall. I thought orcs were big. So I guess it would make sense if they're all different sizes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there are little things like that. Sam rescuing Frodo. They're not walking at that point, but then they start walking shortly after. Um, I like even when that exciting thing happens where like the orc garrison finds them or whatever, they just go and walk more <laughs> with the yeah. army. Yes. Yeah. Oh, just part of an adventure. At one point they're like, they're looking across the landscape and they say that the t- Mount Doom is 40 miles away. I have no ability to measure distances with just vision. I know. How does this work? How do y'all do this? I don't know what 40 miles looks like by sight. Nope. Neither do I. I could not tell you. I couldn't tell you how far 10 feet away from me is. Right? Right. So Gollum shows up again on the way. I... I mean, I get why you don't want to kill Gollum. I would probably have killed Gollum. Yeah. Like 10 times over. 
Yeah. And honestly, I think that Frodo probably should have fallen into the volcano. Yes. I, I think that that probably would have been a better ending for him than continuing to live. And we'll talk about that some more. Um, yeah. No. Sauron is a dumb villain. <laughs> he is so... There's nothing there. There's not nothing. We get zero description of them they literally never appear in the story like he's mentioned a lot kind of like our female characters mentioned never actually seen though he always sends out a sentry or an army to deal with his business and sure i mean maybe that's a sign of how powerful he is but also it's boring mm -hmm. I get Wizard of Oz vibes, right? Like it's just a guy, just a regular guy standing behind a screen with a smoke machine and a projector being like, ma, do my bidding. <laughs> I think that's a good analogy because yeah, we don't, we don't see him. We see his eye, right? Yeah. That we see that. I mean, I guess you can write a villain this way. That's fine. It's just not exciting like that there's not an epic i mean there's epic battles between good and bad forces but the the bad guy never actually comes to the party Gollum steals the ring from frodo falls into the volcano sauron literally has a meltdown and explodes his house and that's it <laughs> like we've talked about how this seems influ or this seems to have influenced some of the Harry Potter series, but at least Voldemort actually shows up for his last battle. Mm -hmm. They go directly to Sauron's front door and he doesn't even come out to say hi. He sends some, I don't know, peon to do his bidding. And uh, it's just kind of meh. Yeah. Yeah, it's not very, it's somewhat anticlimactic, yeah. you know. But of course, you know, obviously good has now prevailed, right? Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, Frodo and Sam get to the thing and Gollum tries to take the ring and then he bites Frodo's finger off and falls into the volcano. And it starts exploding around them. And Frodo's like, everything is hopeless. We're going to die. And Sam is like, well, maybe we could die like down the hill a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> maybe we could die not inside the volcano. Can we yeah. take a stroll away from this? <laughs> Sam out here with all the logic. <laughs> He's like, it's just not in me to give up this easily. Can we go somewhere else for a minute? Which is good because the eagles save them, right? Gandalf is like, oh, things are happening. We need to save, we need to save the people. Um, so you know, everything is fine, whatever. Um, yeah, I don't know. Meanwhile, in Gondor, Faramir and Eowyn get together, which is cute, but also kind of sad. Yeah, I, it was so confusing <laughs> when she's looking out like, oh, my heart pines for another something like that. I was like, 
we talked about it before, but like it was very confusing. And then it also felt like, you know, Faramir was second best again. Again, Faramir deserves better. He's a dream. He tells her that she's beautiful and more lovely than any flower or maiden in their land. Like that's the best we get for romance in this book. And in comparison to everything else, it's pretty good. Like, why can't Faramir have nice things? you know maybe it's because his whole life he spent being second best so he's okay with it you know like he doesn't feel like he deserves that. I feel like there's probably a lot of psychological damage going on from his childhood trauma (laughs) poor Faramir (laughs) just want to give him a hug I know I also find it interesting that she's like oh yeah I'll give up like I'll just be a healer now oh yeah yeah <laughs> I don't want to be a queen anymore and he's like well good because I'm never gonna be a king <laughs> <laughs> um, and they get married and I guess everything is fine but I don't know I wanted better for Fairmere. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. but everything is fine uh Aragorn gets married they Mm -hmm. hang out for months in Gondor before they're like oh yeah we should probably go back they stop and see Bilbo on the way he's deteriorating Mm -hmm. they get to Bree everything is really sketchy and Gandalf is like well you're on your own figure (laughs) it out bye And they have to rescue everyone in the Shire who's been enslaved by men. <laughs> yeah, you Shire folk are too gentle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so we know that the men were um, uh, following Saruman, right? Yeah um and you know worm tongue being an asshole stabs him yeah have you seen uh there's a behind the scenes clip of peter jack from when peter jackson was directing christopher lee so in the movie i think that this doesn't happen in the movie this whole thing in the shire Mm -hmm. and so in the movie i think and this is a deleted scene worm tongue stabs Saruman on the tower in Isengard and I think he falls off I could be wrong it's been a very long time since I watched the deleted scenes but there's this behind the scenes scene where Lee is so Christopher Lee is being directed by Peter Jackson on what to do when he gets stabbed and Christopher Lee to Peter Jackson is like have you ever been around someone being stabbed in the chest before because it looks and sounds like this like he wanted him to cry out when he was stabbed and Christopher Reeve is like they can't cry out because they're sucking in air because their lung is collapsing and they can't breathe and it, it turns out Christopher Lee was like 007 um and probably actually stabbed people <laughs> in the chest <laughs> um I did not know that. <laughs> Fun fact, Marissa. I know. I'll see if I can find the clip and send it to you. It's really interesting. Christopher Lee was super cool. 
It's like a spy. So the very end of this book, right? Yeah. Frodo and Bilbo and who else was it was there? I don't remember some other people. Uh sail away to the undying lands, right? Mm -hmm. This is this is he's killing himself. I am 100 percent certain that this is, you know, they're going off to like this is like their afterlife kind of thing, right? Because Frodo is plagued by his memories and everything that happened to him. He's depressed. It's hard for him to live. He has physical pain too. Right. And he has physical pain. So he's like, I'm going to get on this boat and sail away. And it's like, well, if you weren't going to be like dying on the other end of that, then like, why, why would anything change? Right. Like, yeah. so I looked it up. And it is a pretty common theory that that's actually what that is, especially because in other texts, I guess, um, like other people, when they're older, get on the, like, do this, they sail away. Mm. Um, and, you know, Gandalf says some really interesting things. And then does Galadriel go with them? Yeah. Yes. Galadriel goes with them. And Elrond. And Elrond, right. So they're all, a lot of them are older Bilbo's there. And remember, she had said something about her diminishing. So it's mm-hmm. got to be some sort of uh, some sort of afterlife thing happening here. Mm-hmm. I'm convinced anyway. Not everyone. Tito yeah. disagrees with me. Of course he does. <laughs> I, I think that's an interesting theory. I'm not bothered by that, actually. And I think that there's some other support for this, too. So Saruman has the gift of foresight and he tells Frodo that his life isn't going to be long mm-hmm. right he he like when they confront him in the shire he tells him that his long is I forget exactly what he says but he makes them comment about how he's not going to live a, a long and fantastic life and he I, we also have uh, Bilbo saying like he's ready to move on to a different adventure mm-hmm. and he is going to the undying lands as well so it I feel like that kind of if that is what's happening it it would make sense and i i'm not bothered by it i feel like frodo was suffering um and so if that's what he chooses then i mean i think it's probably a better alternative for him at least than being in pain also i went back and after i read your note on this i went back and looked at it again and it does kind of give the imagery of like caron you know, from Greek mythology, who was the escort of the dead, you know, they're on a ship and crossing a body of water. Um, it kind of reads that way. Like they're, I don't know, it just kind of harkened back to that type of, to Greek mythology, where we have an escort crossing a body of water. Um, I tried to look up the name of the guy that they mentioned. His name is like Searden or something and see if there was any tie to like death with that, but I didn't find that it just means like ship writer ship maker so yeah 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 i think this is this was an interesting way to end with frodo and everyone's feeling and i i really do think that it's like a afterlife sort of thing mm-hmm. yeah yeah, I hadn't thought about that before you posted that, but I do think that's an interesting theory. Um, and I like it. 
I don't know. They talk about how it's the end of an age for all of them. Yeah, there's so much like talk about ending when at that point, right? Like Gandalf says a few things um, to Sam, I think about this as well. And it's all very like, and like, it's the end sounding. Yeah, sort of thing. I mean, it is also the end of the book, so fine, but <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, other than the appendix, the oh appendices. Yes. Yes, that yeah. keeps things going. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I feel like this is a good way to end it. Whether he lives or dies, it sounds like he's going to be someplace better than where he is right now. And I'm glad for him for that. He endured. I mean, a lot of traumatic things happened to him. Mm-hmm. And so he has PTSD basically. And I feel like there's no way you could go back to a normal life in the Shire after everything that happened to him. So I feel like this story wraps up really nicely and very thoroughly as well. Yes, I appreciated that. Yeah. Yeah. I did not read the appendixes. <laughs> Did well, you go apparently... back and read them after you talk to Tito? No, of course not. I wasn't going to read that. It's another like hundred oh, or so pages. pages. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, oh, it, well, because he says to me, it's like um, basically a prologue and an epilogue. Because I think there are two. There's like Appendix A and Appendix B. And I was like, then why didn't he just make that a prologue and an epilogue? Truly. Because like nobody reads Appendix do you ever read an appendix in a book? Very rarely. So when I first read these books, I went through and I read the appendixes and I feel like they mentioned what happens with, there are six. Oh, there, there are, are six of an A, a B, a C, a D, an E, and an F. Well, okay. My There's bad. a lot. No, I think the first time I went through, I did I did read the appendixes. They talk about their language and stuff, but I think they also give you a description of what happens with Aragorn and Aowen. So I feel like I read it the first time. I didn't this time though. I have no shame. I read all of the other things. Yeah. I'm good. I, I covered the bases. So how do you feel about this series after reading it again 20 years after you read it the first time? Um, I was, uh, for whatever reason, it wasn't what I was expecting or remembered from, I guess I kind of did a mishmash in my brain of the books and the movies. Um, I enjoyed it, but it was like significantly slower than what I remember. Like when I think back about when I read them, Mm -hmm. I don't remember them being slow like this. And then obviously with the movies, the movies aren't really slow. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's my main thing with the series. Like it wasn't bad. It was good. It was a good series. It was just, I, you know, they mention a lot of times that in trilogies, the second book is the weaker book. Yes. I was thinking that. Yeah. And I think that definitely holds true in this, in this series. Um, what about, yeah. What about you after watching the movies a gajillion times, but it being a little bit since you've read the books? So my feelings that I expressed last week where I prefer the books or the movies to the books remain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, when I read this the first time when I was in high school, I mean, that was, I don't know, 2007, 
many moons ago, 15, yeah, like 15, over 15 years ago, probably. I really enjoyed them and I enjoyed them this time. I just think that my feelings about uh, equality and characters are more fully developed now than they were when I was 17 years old. And so, and my thoughts about characters and stories are probably more nuanced now than they were. And so I don't think that I had the same appreciation for these stories now as I did when I read them the first time when I was younger. I still enjoyed it. My feelings are just a little bit different. And I still like the movies better. The Hobbit remains my favorite book by this author. Same. I agree. I've read it every book or every year for like the last, I don't know, four or five years. It's fantastic. The storytelling mm -hmm. is exciting. There's description, but I don't feel like I'm dying while I'm reading it. <laughs> yeah. I also like, if, um, if you ever get one of the illustrated versions, mm -hmm. the artwork and stuff that people um, put together for it is always really nice to see. Yeah. Let's talk about our quotes. So um, mine was said by Gandalf. Um, and I, he says, I will not say do not weep for not all tears are an evil. And I like this because I think this is also this is towards the end as well. Um, you know, like, obviously, you know, a lot of times you cry when you're sad, things are like when things are coming to an end or people are leaving you. But you can also cry when, I mean, things are funny, right? You can cry from that. You can cry from happiness, like all these other things. Tears aren't necessarily just have to be associated with sadness. So they typically are. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well, and even if they are tears from sadness, Expressing your emotions is not an evil thing either, right? And that is something that I have been learning and working through in therapy. Um, it's okay to be sad. Mm -hmm. And to have those feelings and to express those feelings. Yeah. And you, you can have feelings that are sad and happy at the same and have tears because of that. We are capable of feeling more than one thing at a time. Mm -hmm. I like that. I like that you like, I like that you post or that you picked that one. Uh, similar vein, Aragorn says this about healing Mary. He says his grief, he will not forget, but it will not darken his heart. It will teach him wisdom. And I like that too. Um, like I said, I feel like in the last year, I have learned a lot about grief that I didn't know before because I hadn't experienced it in this way before. And so I feel like this is a, a good statement. All those grief certainly could darken your heart. I feel like I have learned a lot about myself and uh, developed in my ability to relate to other people from the grief that I've experienced. And so I don't, I don't like that my brother is dead, um, but I feel like I've learned something from this experience, so. Yeah. 
Well, I reckon that wraps up Return of the King. Yes. Thank goodness. <laughs> uh, next week, we'll be discussing Dark Fever, which is the first book in the Fever series by Karen Marie Moaning. We're going with the Fae theme because Vicky's having an overseas adventure. And so uh, we're going to manifest her not being um, taken to fairy <laughs> on her trip. <laughs> I mean, or maybe I will, and that'll be awesome. Not nope, really. It no, won't. it won't. You will die. <laughs> <laughs> like immediately. Immediately dead. I am not clever enough to survive. <laughs> uh, and I think a fairy, fairy is designed to kill you also, so mm-hmm. it's not meant for us. No. No. All righty. Well, join us for Adventures with the Fae next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Literary Quest. We hope you enjoyed our episode. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we can be found at Literary Quest Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. You're also welcome to share your thoughts and ideas with us via email at literaryquestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again.